I am so glad that you're here, and I'm really so glad that you're here, not just because you're in this room, but because I believe that if you were to take this message and take the core of it, that you were to personalize it, I believe that not only would you be affected by it, but also those in close relationship with you would also be affected by it, and even those who are outside of your close relationships would be affected by it. What we've talked about in this series, and this is week three of the series called This Is Us, you see it on the screen. And what, we're, what we've been talking about is in really unlocking the strategy of all the church. We believe that the pathway of discipleship for Double Bible Church is going to come by one of four ways. Week one, we talked about belonging, that the church is a place where you should feel like belong, where you can belong even before you believe everything that, that we believe, that we want anybody to be able to feel like they can belong. Second thing we talked about this last week is to become. We believe that To become the best version of yourself, it requires that you surrender yourself to Jesus. We believe that if you become more like Jesus, you'll become the best version of you for the world. And not only will that affect your life, obviously, and those around you, but also just the extended parts, wherever it is that God would have you go as you're becoming more like him. But the story doesn't end there. We're also going to talk about today how we need to live beyond ourselves Mentally, we need to think beyond ourselves and we need to live beyond ourselves. I don't know how many years ago it was, but um, when we lived in Florida, I had this idea. I was, I was very overweight. To me, I, I felt bad and I was, I was overweight, so I wanted to, to get right with that. And uh, I didn't change my way of eating. That would have probably shortcutted it, but I decided that I was going to run. So I started to run and then I set this goal of entering into my first 5K and it was fun. I did that, and then we eventually moved here. And when we moved here, I entered as many races I, as I could, I, 5Ks, 9Ks. I didn't even know it was a thing. It's a thing here. 9Ks, 10Ks, 12K, I entered one of those. I, and all these races, um, they all started the exact same way. Everybody would get up to the line, right? You'd get up to the line, and then you'd run this set amount of distance, whatever it is, and then there'd be a finish line. And at the finish line, it's like, yes, I'm the, you know, the... This, there's mercy now. I'm done. I get to stop running. And yet I, I had this great idea, at least I thought it was a great idea, to run a half marathon. So I only ran one. And the reason why I only ran one is because it's 13.1 miles. So that's the reason why I ran one. So I, I trained for a long time to run this race. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, all the training, all, all that, it started, uh, the race started just like every other race to where you get up to the line. I was running by myself, so it was sad. I didn't even get to trash talk anybody because I didn't know anyone. So it's kind of, that was sad. Like I, like to rib the guy next to me, I didn't even know him. So I'm there alone and I'm, I'm running this race alone rather. And so I get up to the starting line, just like everybody else, just like I had done all the other times. And I had picked this race out because somebody told me that it was flat. Well, I found out that actually when you are a runner, there's no such thing as flat. Like he was like, yeah, it's flat. It's no big deal. This would be the great, this, the, like the, the greatest one for you to enter into because it's flat. It pretty much was flat until the end. And then it was far from flat. And, and every one of these races that I would be in, and then also the half marathon, is once you would get up and you would see the, uh, you know, the, basically the, the finish line, you'd see where you're going to end. It's like you could see it and then you sprint to the finish. This one was a little bit more difficult because I couldn't see where it was. I had no idea this was coming. I couldn't see where it was and it had a little bit of a, of a hill and climb. And then it actually had a, a sharp left turn and that's where the finish line was. 
Well, I decided ahead of time that I was going to basically, when I finished this race, and I did finish the race, that I finished the climb and I finished all the miles. I finished that I was just going to celebrate with a milkshake. And it was good. It was from Steak and Shake. I was like, I had, I had done some things and kind of modified some of the things that I ate and I stayed away from some sweets while I was training for this particular race. So I was like, I now, I just get to reap the reward of all this hard work and just put it all back on with one big fattening milkshake. And it was really good. So I had this milkshake. See, we have this idea that when it comes to giving our life to Jesus, we have this idea that when you get saved, it's like, in, it's like for you, it's like crossing the finish line. For us, we think that, man, whoo, I made it. I did it. I got saved. I walked, I walked the aisle. I came forward. I knelt. I cried. I prayed. I was there with my friend. I was there with my parents. I was there with my kid. And we think, whoo, I'm at the end. Now I get to live the good life. That's what's believed. And this grieves my soul because that's what Christians believe. Christians believe that if I can just finish the cross, if I can just get saved, that I just... Cross the finish line. Now I get to live the good life. And you know what? Oftentimes, the version of the good life is actually just the version of a life lived for themselves, is it not? I mean, when, when somebody just dreams about the good life, it's usually about pleasure. It's usually about something that benefits them and not God at all. So what we're going to enter into today, and what I hope to change your mind of if you think this way, is that salvation isn't the finish line. Well, now I'm done. Because here's, here's a really sad thing. I didn't say this to the 915. I saved it for you. Parents do the same thing with their kids. They think, I'm just going to bring my kids to church. They're going to get Jesus, and they're going to have the finish line too. And it's the same parents who then don't disciple their kids. It's then those parents who then push the discipleship on to people like me. And it creates a perpetual problem because their kids never get the discipleship they need because that should start at home. You see, this isn't just a problem with adults. It's a problem then that's passed on to their kids because then their kids start to believe, well, if I can just come to church, I'll just bring them to church. I'll just bring them to Jesus. Once I bring them to Jesus, they're saved. They're good. Woo! Now they get to live the good life too. But sadly, their lives never change because maybe they're not saved at all. But even if they are saved, they have no discipleship. They haven't learned what the author of Hebrews says, that we are to be running a race. So I want to pose to you today is this. When somebody gives their life to Jesus, it's not crossing the finish line. It's literally this. It's putting yourselves onto the starting blocks of the rest of the Christian life. That's what it is. When somebody commits their life to Jesus, it's their, they're stepping up and saying, now I'm not going to run the race of my life. I'm going to run the race that Jesus wants me to live. I'm going to live the life that Jesus is going to power me to live. I'm going to live the life that the Holy Spirit of God is going to inject into me and he's going to send me in the direction that he wants me to go. No longer is the version, listen to me, listen to me, no longer is the version of the good life just for you. It's beyond you. So you may be asking yourself this question. What is a Christian to do then? Glad you asked. What is a Christian to do? We're going to find some answers in this talk. But it starts with putting our feet on the starting block. And yet it's difficult because 
We even see in John 20, even the, the first disciples, although Jesus had told them a, a bunch of things that they were supposed to do and sharing, and he had modeled it, and he'd actually sent them out. He had sent out the 12 disciples. He sent out 70 or 72 disciples. He was in the habit of sending, and yet the, the early disciples in John 20, 19 and 20 through 21 is going to be on the screen, but I want to get a running start just to kind of keep this illustration going, get a running start into this passage. And I want you to just kind of get the, the context of this, and you'll see it as I read. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Does anyone know already when this is happening? Resurrection day. The disciples are now, they're, they're shut up. They're not going out. They're behind closed doors. What do we do now? Look what Jesus says to them. He says, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Wow. He shows them his hands and his side. By doing that, he's saying, I'm Jesus. I'm not just some premonition. I'm not just some angel. I'm not just some something conjured up in your mind. He says, no, no, no. This is Jesus. I am Jesus. I, re- I, I died on the cross. Many of you saw me die on the cross. And I resurrected I resurrected, it's real. Look at, look at the scars. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, what does it say in the rest of that verse? I'm sending you. I am sending you. This would have seared into their being. Hey, this isn't just about you anymore. I've been prepping you for something. You've been becoming like Jesus. You've been with me. You're becoming like me. I've modeled it. Jesus taught it. He did all those things. He had this amazing discipleship of these people, a three-year public ministry. He wasn't just behind closed doors learning about the Father. He was out in public showing the Father's love to the watching world. And now he says to the disciples, and he says to every other disciple who is on planet earth, I am sending you. But notice what it says. Notice what he said. Peace be with you. He says, you're going in peace. You're going in peace with the Father. But I'm sending you. Look at me, Christian. You are sent people. Many of us have lived our lives just as gathered people. We just come together on Sunday. We come together for community group. We come together for Bible study. We come together for this. But we are sent people. We gather a couple times a week, and we are sent out to do the mission of God. The same going that Jesus said for his disciples is the same going that we are supposed to be doing today. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. That Jesus came to earth as a helpless child, lived a perfect life, died a criminal's death, resurrected in victory. And now he's sending his disciples. And it wouldn't be long where Jesus would then leave again. But he says, now I'm sending you. If they wouldn't have taken this message serious, we wouldn't be here right now. Do you realize that? If they would have stayed in the room, we wouldn't be here right now. 
If they would have just clammed up and struggled in fear and doubt and shame and I can't do it. I'm an introvert. Now, you know, well, Peter, of course you can do it. You're an extrovert. But I know, but, I, but I'm an introvert. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Or my job, I just, I can't. I'm, 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 I just, you know, I've just got this thing. and I'm fisherman. And we got to do this work. So how can I do the work of God when I have this work? If they would have resisted and if they would not have obeyed Jesus, we would not be here. We are here because people have taken the message of going seriously. They have interjected the Spirit of God into their being that they're not just living for themselves. They're thinking and they're living beyond themselves. So what is a Christian to do? Christians are sent. You see, what some inside the faith have believed is that our goal is just to get people saved. Just get them across the finish line. Just get them across the finish line. Get them across the finish line. Just get them across the finish line. And, and so many things have, have happened in this way, sadly. And so many people object to Christianity because people who, who stand on stages like this have manipulated people into being saved or thinking they're saved over and over and over again. And there's so much power and manipulation to think that, oh, now you're not saved, but I can show you how to be saved. Well, now you're not saved, and now you can be saved. And, oh, now, now you're not saved, and now you can be saved. And all of this has been so selfish and so not what Jesus wanted, and that has become such an obstacle for the watching world. It's to say, man, there, there's got to be more to it than that. Seeing through the manipulation. And I in no way ever want you to be manipulated. As a fact, the, the moment that, that something is said on this stage from, from me or someone else that seems like manipulation, I want you to call me on it. We are all sent people. I'm not trying to manipulate you into anything. I want you to see from the scriptures what it is that we're supposed to do. I want you to take it as serious as I'm taking it. As serious as I believe that Jesus is saying it. And yet, sadly, some inside the faith have believed that their goal is just to get them saved. They've manipulated to make it happen or to see it happen. And it's foolishness to think that all we have to do is get them across the, the finish line of salvation. It's foolishness. The author of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. He says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That the Christian life is, it's the race. It's so much like a longer race, what it is at the beginning. There's excitement when you just, you, you, you just, get up to the to the starting line and you just you get up and just keep this thing going now you you stand on the you know you stand on the blocks and you're wham you're excited let's do this this is what we're supposed to do we're going to go out and accomplish this there's going to be amazing things happen and you jump off that and yet what happens in the course of a christian life is you get about halfway into it your energy starts to wane start struggling and it's in those moments all all of the moments where we we tend to either be anxious or we tend to worry or, or we just feel like we're operating under, under our own strength. And if you feel like you're operating under your own strength, you probably are. It's in those moments where we need to cycle back and say, no, 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 we need to become more like Jesus because then when we become more like Jesus, when we abide in Jesus. And remember those 13 daunting things I put on, this, on the screen last week? Had several conversations this week like, 13, I know, but there could have been more. 
I was actually being merciful by giving you 13. And yet, if you haven't heard that talk, you, you, hopefully you will, but then you know at the, if you did hear it, at the end of that talk, there was something so simple and clear that Eugene Peterson said he gave this illustration about those 13 things, about how we need to be primarily in the Word of God and primarily in praying to God and that everything else is available to us but there's a time and season for it, but we need to continually do those two things. You see, when we do that, when we are becoming like Jesus, we're abiding in Jesus, then it gives us the, the strength and energy and the clarity of mind and, and the unobstructed heart when we're in the middle of the, the difficulties of our race, of, of our life being the race, and then we can persevere through those things. We never lose the abiding nature. We never stop becoming like Jesus. If you stop becoming like Jesus, then you won't be able to think beyond yourself. I love what John Stott said. He said, mission is everything that the church is sent in the world to do. Mission is everything that the church is sent in the world to do. You're going to get some help with that at the end of this talk. So what else should a follower of Jesus be doing other than telling people about Jesus? What else should a follower of Jesus be doing other than just telling people about Jesus? Because what I've tried to make clear is it's more than just getting him saved, getting him saved, getting him saved. If they're not becoming more like Jesus, if they don't have a place where they can feel like they belong, if you haven't begun to pour into them, maybe they'll never get to the point where they actually think and live beyond themselves. That we need each other. The passage this morning is going to come directly from Matthew 5. Matthew 5 verse 14 is the first passage. And then we're going to cycle back and quickly go through Matthew 5, starting in verse 3, in just a couple moments to help us to, uh, to answer these two questions that I've posed. But I need you to participate right now, because what we're going to see in this is that we need to place our light in clear sight. So I want everybody on the count of three to say, place your light in clear sight. You ready? On the count of three, one, two, three, place your light in clear sight. One more time. Everybody bought in. Everybody say it like you mean it. Ready? One, two, three, place your light in clear sight. That's what Jesus is going to get at here. And when he says uh, the things about light in conjunction with our lives, let's read it together. Matthew 5, starting in verse 14, the best sermon of all time. I think it's, it's just an incredible gospel account through Matthew. His life started out so different than what it would end up, and he would be the most unlikely candidate who would be able to write down the historical things about Jesus and, and everything about Jesus. I mean, he started so far from God, and yet you see that just how God redeemed him and brought him into a life of significance, and he can do the same thing for you. Verse 14 says this, straight from Jesus' words. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that if you're a follower of his, 
You are the light of the world. I don't have to reteach this because this has just been a continual theme over the last year and a half. But we have adequately talked about how the earth is a place of darkness, haven't we? And that the earth is a place of darkness and it needs the light of Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. You are going to be the conduit of grace. You are going to be the people going out and doing good works. You're going to be the people who are discipling your kids. You're going to be the ones who are discipling other people's kids. You're going to be the one who's telling other about how I love them. And you're, you're going to have the Christ's love on display for the world. You are the light of the world. It doesn't say, no, 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 that really spiritual person, that person's the light of the world. It doesn't say the better version of you is the light of the world. It doesn't say, well, I'll get there one day, but right now Jesus is just working on me. Sorry, sometimes I just go into southern woman mode and I just went in and I'm coming back out, okay? But you are the light of the world. Make no mistake. You can't pass it off onto someone else. You have to place your light in clear sight. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Isn't that true? Like if it's dark and there's a city on a hill, if you've ever seen this, you know this to be true. Everything else can be dark, countryside around, but yet that city just glows. It just glows. It glows like this Old Testament example. I'm going to preach this in a couple weeks. I can't wait, but I'll, I'll give you a, just a little taste test of it right now. Um, this comes from Exodus 34, 29 through 30. You maybe want to read it. I don't know, but um, I'm just going to go through it really quick. I'll give you the context of it. It's super cool. Um, Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai and he had been given the Ten Commandments. Everything was great. He was in the presence of God. He, God literally etches the Ten Commandments on the tablet. Would you think that's a pretty cool thing? Like God just etching that on a tablet. Problem is he starts coming back down the hill. Somebody say, uh-oh. It's a big uh-oh. He's starting to come down the hill. And apparently there's like a little party going on at the base of the hill. And it was a little party based around an idol. And, uh, and his brother Aaron had just given the approval. Like, sure, yeah, that's, if that's what you want. You want, this, you want this golden calf? Let's rock it. Sure. Here, I'll help you. So he literally has this golden calf. And they're, they're having just a wild old time around this. And then Moses gets ticked off. He comes back off the mountain. He and, and, uh, and Joshua, coming back off the mountain, they can hear the they can hear all the commotion. This, he says, sounds like war in the camp. It's like, there's just all this commotion. And Moses gets uh, a little perturbed. And, uh, and then he just chucks the uh, Ten Commandments, etched by God, mind you, throws them down, breaks them, kind of a big deal. He's upset because of what he saw with the people. So now the context of this is, now Moses gets to go back up the mountain. And he goes back up the mountain and he has another set of the Ten Commandments. And now look what happens on his way down. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Wow. He was not aware that his face was radiant. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. It's like, who is this guy? Looks like Moses. I don't know. His face is glowing. Here's an issue. Stay away from him. I just don't know. 
But one thing they did know is they knew he was different because he had been in the presence of God. They knew that for sure, didn't they? He had gone up on the mountain to be in the presence of God and he came down and his face was glowing. I just wonder how many people who you have direct influence of and over need you to spend some time with Jesus so that you can radiate to them the light. Like, I don't even need to set up the scenario, do I? You just, you know there are lost people in your family. It's those people. You know there are lost people who you mingle with at work. It's those people. You know you have extended family that you don't see all the time. It's those people. It's the people that you see when you go to Kroger. It's the people, if if you go to Walmart, you see them there too. You're already doing life around people. You have some influence in these people's lives. Bring the light to them. Spend some time becoming what Jesus wants you to become, becoming a disciple of him, leaving your salvation, getting on the starting block, running your race, the race of discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, spending time with Jesus, so then when you get to be around other people, your face can glow around those who are living in darkness. Love, his face was radiant. It says it twice in that passage. Man, I want my face to be radiant. I I want people to look at me who I have influence with and over. I want them to look at me and say, you know what? I don't know what all he believes. But I'm at least curious enough to ask. I don't know what all he believes. But I want to be connected to the group that he's connected with. Just in case they have it too. His face was radiant. A city on a hill cannot be hidden because it's radiant. You see, you show others what you truly are. Right now, you show others what you truly are. And what is being produced in you will be what others see. What is being produced in you is what others see. So now I want to cycle back to Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. We're going to do a slow walk through this passage. Hopefully I can preach through this in the future. I'd love to. It's intimidating to preach through this, to be honest with you. But Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. And we're going to go through this because if these things are starting to be produced in your life, your, your light is going to become more radiant in the dark world around us. If, if we commit our way to this and we seek God in this and we try and live our life in conjunction with what the word of God says here and in other places, but here, we can be that city on a hill for Dublin and Lawrence County in middle Georgia. That we, we, when we're gathered together and then when we spread out, we bring the light with us. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, we can bring the light into the dark places. But this is where our light gets recharged. Let's look at verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Somebody who's poor in spirit, their confidence is only in God. 
They're at the end of their road, so to speak. They know that they have such limited strength and they can never earn salvation. There's no amount of good works that they could earn salvation. They can't be a good enough person. They can't be connected to the right church, the right group, sit under the right teaching, know the right songs, have the right bumper stickers, have the right shirts. This person knows they are poor in spirit. There's nothing they can offer to God. It's only by God's grace can they be saved, and it's only by God's grace can they live the Christian life. Sadly, few Christians reach this understanding. At least earlier in their walk, where they still struggle and they try and live out their own strength and their own strength and their own strength. And then they wonder why their life doesn't fall apart. Or excuse me, they wonder why their life falls apart. Then they wonder why they can't be changed. They wonder why they feel disconnected with God. It's because they're not poor in spirit. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This is not just talking about mourning somebody who's in the hospital or mourning a loss. This is talking about mourning your sin, grieving and mourning your sin, meaning that every sin that you and I commit were a sin, a violation against God, and Jesus Christ died on that cross for us, for each and every one of those sins, and we should mourn those sins. We should never celebrate sin. We should mourn them. We should die to that old person so that we can live new life in him. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek. See, somebody who's meek is small before God, and they lift God up. They're small before God. They're not trying to take God off his throne. They're just humbling themselves before God. They realize that they have a little bit of strength, but it's certainly not enough strength to save. It's not even enough strength to live the Christian life. But they humble themselves, they bow down before God, and they lift up Jesus. That's this person. It says this person, person who's meek, will inherit the earth. Continuing on, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is a person who is living their life in conjunction with what Jesus said and how Jesus lived his life and what he modeled for us and what he's inviting us into. And now we have an appetite for hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is it that I'm supposed to do, Jesus? Where is it that I'm supposed to go, Jesus? Who is it that I'm supposed to shine my light on, Jesus? What is it that I'm supposed to leverage my, my, my passion for? What am, how am I supposed to steward my gifts, Jesus? This person is hungering and uh, just has a hunger and thirst for righteousness of what's right before God. Not always what's right before people, but what's right before God. This person, Jesus says, is gonna be blessed. And that they will be filled. They're going to get what they want. They're going to get what they need. Because they're centered on the work of Christ. Also, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, this isn't just making a reference to a mercy ministry. This isn't just talking about compassion for compassion's sake. This is talking about the greatest display of mercy the world has ever seen that a perfect and loving God would die for sinners 
That's the, the basis of our mercy. Our mercy, our basis of our mercy doesn't, it isn't because we look upon somebody who needs mercy. It's because Jesus Christ displayed mercy. And because he displayed mercy, and because those who've received Jesus, they've knelt down and they received that mercy, then they can bring that mercy to other people. It doesn't begin with people. It begins with Jesus. That's the mercy. If it doesn't begin with Jesus, then we're going to get confused and we're going to run off in a direction that Jesus doesn't want us to go to. The mercy, it begins with Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Those who are full of, ministry, full of mercy are those who have received it by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Then they will see and experience mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Think of it in this way. Somebody who has an open heart, undivided loyalty to God, but just an open heart, which means that their heart is open and they ask the Spirit of God to invade all of the compartments of their heart, to lay all of it bare before the Holy Spirit of God and saying, God, I invite all of, I invite you into every little caveat and crevice in, into the recesses of my heart because when you shine the light of my heart, then my heart will be pure before you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This person, they're willing to make peace. They're, they realize, too, that sometimes to make peace, you have to, you have to have a difficult situation to make peace. That you can't be passive. That you have to make peace. And also, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we don't even know persecution. I'll summarize all of that in this quote from a commentator that I found. He says, you are light. Christians, this is your story. This is my story. You are light. And so you must let your light shine and not conceal it in any way, whether by sin, by compromise, by laziness, or by fear. You are light. You must let your light shine as a city on a hill, as a light not hidden. It would make no sense to, put a, to have a, a lamp here and then put a cover on the lamp. Light's just glowing inside, but not helpful. And not to conceal this light in any way by sin, by compromise, by laziness, or by fear. So we must put our light in clear sight. That's what we need to do. We must put our light in clear sight. Jesus said this in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Maybe your light, your, your light right now is a little dim. Maybe because of the things that we just read, maybe it's, it's a sin in your life. It's a hidden sin in your life. Maybe you've been compromising in an area. Maybe it's, it's laziness in an area. Maybe it's just fear in an area, and if we're to put our light in clear sight, we'd be mindful of what this passage says in John eight twelve. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. Just a couple minutes ago, he says, you are the light of the world. One of the great things is this. If, if Jesus is the light of the world, 
And he is, he is the light of life. That means that when, when you get to a place in your life where you're like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, you have the light of life guiding you. I don't know, who is it? That, I, need, I know that I need to talk to somebody about Jesus, but, but who is it? Jesus is like, oh, that's the light of life. Oh, that's it. That's where you need to go. That's who you need to talk to. You get in a situation, and you're like, I just, you're over your head in parenting, and you're like, I just don't know where it is, and I'm, I don't know where I'm supposed to start and disciple my kids. I believe that, that I'm to be light in, in this dark world, and I need to share the light with my kids, and I just don't know how to do it, and I want to start. Jesus says, you know, I'm the, I'm the light of the world. I'll give you the light of life. I'll give you the direction you need. Just follow me. And if you follow me, you always, you always follow in the light, not in the darkness. Just follow me. And when you follow me, you'll have the light of life. We do that when we become like Jesus. I ran across this quote. I don't know who said it. Somebody's smarter than me, so we'll just, just say it that way. But this quote, and I want us to think about this when it comes to light and when it comes to our walk with God. The quote says this, Great commission is not great compassion. Great commission is not great compassion. Compassion without commission leads to compromise. Some of us, even within this church body, are heavily involved in non-human issues. Non-human issues. And I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be in those. But I'm just saying, if you're involved in an issue of the world, and you're involved in an issue of the world that just seems, it's just, it's a compassion issue. I, like, I just feel for this cause. I feel for this animal, or I feel for this. If, if all you do is go out and chase all of these things out of compassion, but if you don't bring the Great Commission into it, if you're not sharing Jesus and evangelizing and making disciples in those situations, you're disobeying God. You're disobeying God. And you can get all the feels. It can feel good. It can look good. You can post something on your social media and you can get a bunch of shares. You can get a bunch of likes. You can get all those things and make you just feel all warm inside, but you can be disobeying God. Again, I'm not telling you not to be involved in non-human needs. But what I'm gonna give you in just a couple moments is a priority list of the needs that you should be involved in. And yet, great commission, with, it's not great compassion to say, oh, I've done, I've shared the light to this cause. If you haven't brought the great commission with you, you're disobeying God. Because compassion without commission leads to compromise. And the compromise is this, it'll feel good, you may look good, but you're not bringing Matthew 28, 18 through 20 with you. You're not making disciples. You're not evangelizing. You're not teaching. You're not baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. But it may look good because, oh, I love these, I love this animal and I'm looking out for these animals and I just have a soft spot for these animals. If you don't first have a soft spot for people, but yet all, all the, the soft spots you have are for animals, you are disobeying God. Let that sit exactly where it needs to. A tendency in some followers of Jesus is not leaning forward for the mission of God, but instead taking some other postures. These are all counterfeits. So 
The scenario I set up a minute ago, when somebody receives Jesus, they get saved, they're literally standing on the starting blocks and they're beginning their journey. It's not the finish line, it's the beginning of their journey. The tendency with some followers is either they become a passive presence to where they're just, they're passive. They're just like, you know what? I'm not gonna get, the, the, the key phrase for somebody in the passive presence, I'm not gonna get involved. I'm not gonna get involved. That's between them and Jesus. Sadly, I've seen this with several parents and talking about the spiritual development and, and the, the relationship that their kids have with God. Oh, they'll figure it out. Really? Bad plan. Second thing on the list is this. So after passive presence, miserable missionaries. Miserable missionaries. These are people who, who aren't living with the joy of the Lord. See, here's, here's, the, here's a really eye-opening thing. The world has something better to offer than a joyless Christian because at least the world has to offer um, some, some happiness and some pleasure. It's fleeting, but for a minute, that looks better than somebody who's joyless. If you're living a joyless Christian life, nobody's gonna want what you have. I mean, they're not. They already have, the world already has something better than that. It's a counterfeit, but it's better than that temporarily. So some of us, we've, we've just given way. It's like, yeah, I was on the starting blocks and now I'm just a miserable missionary. I'm just joyless. I'm not living the joy of the Lord. God's done with me. I'm done with him. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with that. Next one is, I believe the next one is the angry ambassadors. These are the people who say things like, and again, these are people who profess Christ that, that I'm making reference to with all of these. No one outside of, of churches or this church particularly. An angry ambassador is somebody who says, you know what? I love Jesus, just not the church. I, lo I love Jesus. Sure you do. But if you don't love his bride, what you love is what Jesus gives you, not Jesus. Think about it. The object of your worship is whatever he's giving you, not him. Jesus Christ is to be the object of your worship. And if he calls us the body thinking about we are the body of Christ, that we need to love one another. You can't love one another in isolation. And yet many times, maybe some things have happened in church where people are, are resistant or hesitant to, to buy into church. And I get it. I get it. Church, and I mentioned earlier, people have done some bad things. But an angry ambassador is no substitute for you getting up, getting on the block and doing what you're supposed to. Next one is this, political pawns. We know people, or perhaps we are these people, maybe people know you, to where they don't know necessarily what you believe, but they know who you're going to vote for. That's a problem. Then you're basically a political pawn. You're not, it isn't about your walk with Jesus. It's about you connected to some political affiliation. And lastly, I think this one, if none of those hit, certainly I think this one will. And this is the one that I struggle with. Distracted director. I can get very distracted. I can get distracted by the things of the world. I can get distracted by things that I have. I can get distracted by the things that I want. I can get distracted by the things that I have to manage. I can get distracted by uh, just the stuff that I have to do in my life. I can get distracted by a lot of things. And those distractions can get in the way of me being the person that Jesus Christ wants me to be. 
give me a list of five things and then I'm going to be through. List of five things. This is the priority list for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to be, you want to be taking this. You want to think outside. You want to get beyond yourself mentally, beyond yourself in your life. You want to get on the, the starting block and you want to live a life of purpose. Live your race as what the author of Hebrews says. And I put these in order on purpose. So here we go. Five marks of living as light. Start with this. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. You only have a certain amount of time, a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of resources. You need to have the greatest bulk of those in the areas of evangelism, sharing Jesus with others, and making disciples. Which leads me into the second thing on the list. Teach, baptize, and nurture new believers. Second priority. The third one, respond to a human need. This is where compassion becomes valuable, responding to a human need. Fourth thing, seek to transform unjust structures of society. Maybe it's, a, it's something of the government. Maybe it's a law that's against God's laws and, and seeking to to basically make those unjust things go away and and leveraging for that, that's absolutely good and that's worthwhile, but it's not the highest value point. And the last thing, strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and to sustain life on earth. This is when the non-human needs enters into the equation. The non-human needs. And it's important that we get this right. Because if you're passionate about turtles and you're gonna give your life to turtles, I mean, they're cute. Just don't get too close if they're snapping turtles. You know what I mean? But if you're gonna give your life to turtles, turtles don't have souls. They will not be in heaven. I mean, the, the turtles you see, there may be turtles in heaven, creatures in heaven but you're not going to win them over so they get to heaven. That's what I mean. So if you should give your life for turtles, probably not the wisest thing. One thing we do know for sure who's going to be in heaven are the souls of boys and girls and men and women. That is the highest point that we should leverage and steward and campaign and love, and to serve, and to do, and to accomplish, but we have to get beyond ourselves. I told you I was through. AJ, you can come up. I want us to get this right. And I'll tell you this, and I didn't even plan on saying this, but I said during the 915, and it's true, and I'm going to say it to you. I think we as, as a body here, we've done really, really well with serving inside the church. I think that we have done an amazing job and we have other opportunities in the foyer for you to do that. I think we've done so well with that. And I, I mean, every statistic, we blow out of the water with that. And many of you are responsible for that. But what we haven't done well is serving outside the church. We haven't done well at that. 
We've leveraged a lot of our, our money and our time and our energy for things inside the church. And yet, we need to be taking some of that, partitioning some of that, and spreading it out to the community. And I want you to know, as your pastor, we've been doing this wrong, but we're going to make this right. And you're going to start to see some things in 2019 where there's going to be other opportunities for us to get involved in the community. So maybe it's going to disrupt the way that you serve in, in other parts of your life. I don't know what even that looks like right now. But one thing I do know, it's going to be worthwhile, and I know that Jesus is leading us to it. I'm unclear as to all that it looks like, but it's good. So you need to find a place to serve within the church and outside the church. You have to. And we do so because Jesus commands us to. Would you stand with me? We're going to conclude the service by taking the Lord's Supper. I'm going to say a couple things about the Lord's Supper. You're not going to take it in your seats. You can take it at the tables. Go back there as families or with friends. If you're not here with your family, go back, grab a friend. And before you actually take the elements or before you even walk back there, I want you to know this. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, I'm just not there with Jesus yet, that's fine. Please don't take the Lord's Supper. Just stay right where you are. If you're a follower of Jesus and you know you're not right with God, I would also ask that you don't take of the Lord's Supper until you confess that as sin and you begin the steps of repentance. But if you are right with God, you've given your life to Jesus, you're, you're growing, you have some of the markers of faith, I invite you to go back and partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to make just two lines. There's two tables. Make two lines. You can go as you're ready and as you see fit. AJ is going to start playing. I'm going to pray for us. As soon as I say amen, you can go take the elements. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today. Thank you for loving us and caring for us, nurturing our souls, giving us a race to run, a path to follow, and a light to lead us. Thank you, Lord, that that light is not just for us, but also it's to shine light into the dark world around us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your broken body, your shed blood. We celebrate by taking the Lord's Supper today. Amen. Amen.